Raising the Bets is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to Raising the Bets. We're a Catholic couple raising five kids outside of Boston. Join us as we share the joys and challenges of marriage, homeschool, and our adventures near and far as we make sense of the world and experience the best parts of rock culture. I'm Don Bettinelli. And I'm Eleni Bettinelli. So this is Advent. We have entered Advent, and we've just finished Thanksgiving. It's been a big week for us. Um, So let's start with talking about Thanksgiving itself. Um, Pretty quiet, generally. We didn't go anywhere. We didn't go to my brother's house. Um, which no. was our usual custom. Uh, we stayed in. It was nice. Yeah. So first Thanksgiving without my dad. So, and my mom is in a nursing home, so she couldn't, uh, she couldn't come out. So it was kind of weird. This is the new, the new, new for us, I guess. For you, I mean, it's kind of funny. You've for 20 years basically have not gone home for Thanksgiving. You right. haven't been with your family for Thanksgiving. Um yeah, I mean, even before we were married, I didn't go home for Thanksgiving. I mean, I haven't been home to Thanksgiving in 25 years. A long time. You've lived in Massachusetts now for like 25 years, isn't it? Since 2000, since 2000, 22 okay, years. 22 years. So, yeah, I'm sure it's been a long time then. So, yeah, for you, it, 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 you're used to not being well, with your family on Thanksgiving. Yeah. and. Honestly, going and visiting your family was sort of the not the norm because my family usually did Thanksgiving. Just just your immediate family, immediate family like you didn't have a lot of family in the Austin area most of the time. Right. When I I was little for a while, like we would occasionally do Thanksgiving with my uncle Dan when they lived in the area or when with my uncle Paul, my mom's brother. Um, But most most holidays were just us so we i got up early as usual got the turkey in the oven and so we had the turkey which came out pretty good this year i think it was it was nice and moist uh and i made the gravy and you made everything else yeah pretty much (laughs) uh i made a loaf of challah because that's our holiday bread yep holiday bread i made some sweet potatoes and mashed potatoes and stuffing and uh, pie. You made two kinds of pie. Two two kinds of pie, and I bought a pumpkin pie at the store because I made, I made pecan pie, which is my favorite, and mm-hmm. apple pie because Lucy doesn't really like pecan pie. Um, and apple pie is her favorite. Mm-hmm. And Bella really wanted a pumpkin pie, but I don't do pumpkin pie, so pumpkin pie is kind of I I could take it or leave it. Like I I have a symbolic slice of pumpkin pie at at Thanksgiving. But that is, it's not like I would crave it or any of the time. I guess, whereas I love pecan pie and apple pie, blueberry pie. Um, what are the other nine kinds of pie? Key lime pie. <laughs> key, lime, key lime pie is okay. Like the, yeah, anyway. Key lime pie is one of my favorites. Okay. So, yeah, so, so we had the pie and then we had the, uh, the mashed potatoes were really good because you put everything in that. The mashed potatoes had 
sour cream and heavy cream and Mexican cheese blend and Parmes- Parmigiano Reggiano <laughs> and lots of butter. There was definitely some potato in there, but it was balanced out with all the other uh, fat and calories plus, and plus, sugars. Yeah. Plus some scallions for color and and. Uh, oh yes, you have to have some greens. Yeah, <laughs> it was really good. I mean, it's, you only you only eat them once a year. This kind of mashed potato. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's because otherwise it's just way too much. And then the sweet potatoes were really good. Yeah, this time I I roasted the sweet potatoes whole and then I peeled them and mashed them. Uh, I mashed them with butter and brown sugar and a little bit of nutmeg. But then I added I had some leftover lemon juice from something. The apple pie, apple maybe, pie. from the apple pie. And I threw that in and I, added, I also added a squirt of orange juice. And I think the citrus really makes the sweet potatoes pop. Yeah. They were good. That was really good. Uh, We could have made twice as much, I think. Right. I didn't make that many sweet potatoes because in the past, they've not really been Mm -hmm. as popular. Nobody's eaten them. So after we finished eating, we were going to watch the season finale of Star Wars and or, which had come out the day before. And we're going to. We did. No, no, I know. That's what our plan was. And then we decided to also watch a movie and we decided on Pirates of the Caribbean because I think some of the kids weren't quite sure of it. Like they were a little worried. Uh-huh. But, you know, it's slapstick, you know, pirate swashbuckling. Sort I of knew nonsense. they would love it. I mean, pirates, and, what's not to love? Well, in Captain Jack Sparrow is, yes. you know, they loved it. It was it was funny. They thought that it was hilarious. Um, although partway into the movie, I'm sitting, I'm sitting there going, what's that? What's that noise? What's that beeping noise? And then I realize it's the fire, the smoke detector. So it, not just one smoke detector. <coughs> it was all, all the, the smoke, smoke detectors, detectors yes. in the house. So when dinner was over and we put, you know, cleaned up the dishes and packed away the leftovers, my usual thing is, is to take the turkey carcass put it in a pot full of water, put it on the stove and start simmering it to make turkey stock so that later on we could have turkey soup. We know this, right? This is we've talked about this before on this podcast. Um, And so it turns out that we can't have a holiday without me doing some kind of damage. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. uh, On a Thanksgiving a while ago, not last year, but a couple years ago, I sliced my finger pretty good. Not on Thanksgiving itself, but. When I was making the turkey soup the next day. It was the day after Thanksgiving. It was the day after Thanksgiving. And then there was that Easter, not this past Easter, I don't think. I think it was it was 2021, uh, where I chopped off part of my finger trying to chop an acorn squash. It wasn't an acorn squash. What was it? It was a, a funky squash that you'd picked up, like a turban squash or something. Like Some that. kind of squash. Yeah. I was going to chop it with a cleaver, you know, like really dramatically, and I didn't get my finger out of the way. And so it was very dramatic. That was very dramatic. Oh, very dramatic. So this time I didn't do any damage to myself, but I had what I had done was I'd put the pot on the stove, turned it on high to get it up to the boil, and then I was going to turn it down to simmer and just let it simmer. Well, I forgot. Turned it to simmer. (sighs) No, you're supposed to, you got to bring it up to a boil and then bring it down. Like you can't just. Anyway, so I'd forgot. And. I didn't realize we were going to watch a movie, so I would have come out afterward in any way after Andor, but then we watched the movie. Uh, so it had boiled all the way. There was this really great like collagen at the bottom, like that really thick, but it was, of course, trash because it had been all smoky. And like I had 
thrown the, uh, taken the pot, the whole pot, and just put it out on the patio and left it there overnight. I just didn't want to deal with it. And we had to open all the windows and doors and turn on the, the uh, HVAC air, the fan to vent it out. And it was just nasty. And That's I was gross. I was really upset because I like turkey soup. And it was really disappointing, not to mention, you know, I did manage to clean the pot the next day. It wasn't ruined. I mean, in the end, there was no damage. Uh, Other than the damage of our peace of mind. No harm, no foul. <laughs> it it smells pretty foul. <laughs> it, it did smell pretty bad for a while. But then we, you know, you cook and then the smells go away. But yeah, it did smell kind of burnt smoky for a bit. Um, yeah, so I want to make a smoked turkey, but not that way. No. No, no. So uh, that was the adventure. And uh, thankfully, that was it. Knock on wood. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, so that was Thanksgiving day. Then Friday I were, I had work I needed to get done. I didn't work the whole day, but I had some work I needed to do. Um, I don't think we did really anything Friday. Friday was boring. There was supposed to be that lantern walk. The scouts have a, a thing where they, they do, um, in the town forest, they line the trees with basically water bottles half filled with water with a glow stick inside. So it makes the forest kind of light up magically. They hang them from trees, from tree branches. And then you, you know, walk down the trail and you go to, there's a fire ring and then they have like a fire ring thing where they have hot cocoa and they tell, I don't know, spooky stories or something. It was supposed to be weeks ago. It was going to rain. And then they, they rescheduled it for uh, this Friday, but we ended up not going because it was at five thirty. Which is a weird time, like cause you get, it's like right in the middle of dinner. So I don't I was, know. I was still cooking dinner, which that night was well. Since we didn't have turkey soup, we made I made turkey enchiladas. I think you were happy to make turkey enchiladas. I me. you frank, prefer turkey frankly enchiladas. prefer enchilada turkey enchiladas to soup, and they were good. We'll talk about this in a bit, and those were good. But uh, yeah, in any case, um, but Saturday, Saturday was my nephew's wedding. Um, my second nephew to get married. Uh, if you recall from listening for a bit, we had a wedding this past summer of his brother. And then my, my nephew, John Paul, got married to his bride, Katie. And so John Paul is a U.S. Army officer. He's a Black Hawk helicopter pilot stationed in Savannah, Georgia. And um, uh, so he was his longtime girlfriend. They've been dating for five years, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, they said um, they met working at Outback, which is kind of fun because it was uh, it, that Outback was kind of a family restaurant job because not only did John Paul work there, his but, mom worked there, but his mom worked there. She was waiting tables. And then two of his brothers also work their waiting tables. I don't know at all at the same time. I think at, at the time that they got engaged or the, the time they met, it was just. His John mom. Paul, his mom, and Katie. Right. Yeah. So it was a lovely wedding. Um, we, it was at their parish St. Catharines in Norwood, which is a beautiful parish that I our family has a long time connection to. It's it's even though it's not in the same town where I grew up, my, my brother and his wife has have always gone there instead of their local parish. They had connections to both priests and a prayer group that was there and so it's just the been their parish. St. Catherine School. Huh? Their kids all went to the same. Yeah, Catholic and then school. the kids went all went to St. Catherine School. So the the connections to the parish go back many years. And then Father Ed, who used to be our pastor, um, who they knew from when he was a, a priest at that parish, uh, he 
uh, celebrated the marriage, the wedding. And that was really beautiful. He did a really great job. And uh, I loved his homily. Um, although Father Father Ed, when he preaches, he kind of whispers. It was very quiet. He's very quiet when he prays and, and, and he preaches. And you have to strain to hear him, which may be intentional. I don't know. So, um, so John Paul was wearing his, they call them pinks and greens. There is no pink. I, They're not pink, but the uniform is called pinks and greens. So it's an old uniform they're bringing back or an, a, a new version of an old uniform. It's, it's retro. If you've ever watched like the the one that Steve Rogers wears in the original Iron Man, uh, the original not Iron Man, original Captain, Captain America, America movie, the 1940s era khaki dress uniforms, khaki pants, green, green, khaki green blazer. Yeah. Yeah. The, like it's a. It's it's, it's brown and brown. It's like greenish brown and brown. They call them pinks and greens. I, yeah. But in any case, um, he was wearing that uniform. It's not a standard like everybody wears them yet, um, but you can wear them. They're, they're going to phase them in by 2027. Oh, is that what it is? Okay. Yeah. But he wanted to wear this particular uniform for the wedding. And so my brother, Bernie, my other brother, not his dad, and my father, his grandfather, pitched in to buy him his uniforms when he was commissioned. So they they bought his whole uniform package, like all of the different uniforms he needed. But they also bought this uniform for him to wear to the wedding. And I, let me tell you, it was pretty snazzy. It's a, it's a nice looking uniform. Um, the other soldiers who were there, because all of his soldier buddies came, um, they were in the formal dress blues. Yeah. yeah. So John Paul stood out. They were all in uniform, but he stood out because he was in the, the greens and they were in the blues. Yes. Yeah. So uh, that was really nice. And uh, so then the uh, reception afterward was nice. We sat at the table with um, my sister and her husband and their three of their kids. And then my other sister and my brother, Bernie, and his wife. Uh, so that was nice. Oh, and um, my niece, Kateri's uh, fiance. Patrick was there as well. So, and they're next. They're next summer, I think. Yep, next but, summer. Yeah, so it was nice. Uh, the, the reception was fun. A lot of loud music. We ended up leaving early because my ears just cannot take the decibels. We're such anymore. old people I am. I am an old person. <laughs> Why it does is, it have to be so loud? <laughs> it is sad. But I had, I had a really bad ear infection a few years ago, and my eardrum burst. Yeah. And, like... My right ear hasn't been the same since. I just can't handle loud noises. No, it was really loud. Like my watch, you know, the Apple Watch does the thing where it can tell you, like you, at ninety decibels, if you stay at this level for thirty minutes, you'll have temporary hearing damage. And it was like screaming at me all night. Like it's it's loud. It's loud. I know. I know. So yeah. So we we ended up we left. I mean, we stayed through dinner and some of the dancing and all and, that sort of stuff. Yeah, we. we Stayed for cake for sure. Cake and coffee, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, it was nice. It was a, it was a good time. And then they have like a photo booth thing, like where they have a social media style photo thing. And so I we took pictures with all my siblings, and that was fun. And then um, uh, it's interesting they didn't do neither. I don't think Beth did the Joe and Beth, my other nephew. I don't think that they did the throwing of the bouquet either. Nope. Did they? 
no throwing bouquets. So no, neither neither bride threw a bouquet, um, and none of the other like the garter stuff or any of that other stuff, I, which is fine. That's kind of um, even the cutting of the cake was relatively low key. They didn't really announce cutting the cake. They did it while everybody was dancing. Yeah, or something. Yeah, or eating dinner. Or eating dinner. Like they yeah. just kind of did it, and they came around to each table to to greet everyone. They didn't do a like a receiving line or anything, which is probably better. It's it's easier that way. Um, so, uh, it was, it was really nice. It was a, it was a, it was a nice opportunity to get together with family and, um, you know, we don't have as many opportunities these days to do that. So, um, so, and then the kids, <laughs> our kids, uh, stayed here, had pizza for dinner <laughs> and watched movies, watched Star Wars. So that was nice. So let's talk about some food that we ate besides Thanksgiving dinner, because we already talked about that. Um, one of the things that we did this year was I usually do the food shopping on Fridays. I go to the grocery store on Fridays and we've been trying to plan meals. This is what we're having. Not terribly successful. Not successful. Except until this past week where we just we sat down and we said, OK, Friday night, we're having salmon. Usually they have salmon on sale on Fridays at the grocery store, which is nice. Um, so Friday, we're having the salmon Saturday. We're going to have bourbon chicken Sunday. We had pot roast, uh, from the instant pot, which turned out pretty good. Uh, it was a pretty good recipe that is instant pot, pot roast, which we were making fun of because pot is next is, is occurs twice. Um, it's from a website called la creme de la com, And it's just, you take a, a chuck roast, you put it in the, in the instant pot and you kind of brown it in there first. And then um, I, I kind of adapted the some of the, the technique from the beef stew recipe I did before, which is I put it in there with some whole vegetables, a, a whole carrots, whole celery, half an onion and uh, liquid and pressure cook it for uh, like an hour. Then I take it out, I take out those vegetables and then I put more vegetables in that are now cut up and along with the meat and finish it off for 15 minutes. And that way the vegetables aren't mush when you, when they come out and that worked out really well, I think it was tasty. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good method. So, um, uh, it wasn't fall apart, uh, tender, like pot roast, you tend to think of like it shreds. This was still pretty, um, uh, solid, but not, but not really chewy. It was pretty good. It was good. Yeah. Worked okay. Yep. And it was a gravy with it. So that was uh, Sunday. And I also made um, individual Yorkshire puddings uh, in the muffin tin to go with it. So that was good. And then um, I think Monday we had pasta to uh, taco Tuesday. We did do taco Tuesday. We did. And then Wednesday, because you know, it's, we're, we're about to have a huge meal the next day. We wanted to keep it easy. We did fried rice. So whenever we have rice and leftover rice, it, you know, at a meal, it goes in the freezer in a bag. And we end up with this huge bag, two couple of bags of, you know, Ziploc bags of, of rice, leftover rice that then becomes fried rice. And so that worked out really well. And, and so I think we had a pretty good plan. And this week we have another, you know, good list of stuff we're going to have. So, you know, we had turkey enchiladas on Friday. The kids had pizza yesterday. We had roast beef today. 
Now, this was a roast beef as opposed to a pot roast. Um, and then some other things we're going to have this week, chicken lemon soup, beef stroganoff, curry. And I have my eye on a recipe for a slow cooker white bean and tomato soup that looked interesting. So I'm going to give that a try and see how that comes out. So I think I think it worked out. I'm I'm kind of happy with that. It does take some effort and it takes some buy in from the kids. We have to pull them. What do you want to have for meals this week? Oh, I mean, in theory, we could do it without their buy in in practice. I can't think of enough like meal ideas without pulling them. So it's yeah. sort of more about like. The downside is, is they'll keep, they'll choose the same thing every week. Anthony will ask for beef stroganoff every week. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, and we also have to account for like on Tuesday nights with scouts, it's, we have to have a quicker meal. We have to get it done early so that we can, you know, get out in time to get to the scout meeting. But in general, it it's worked out pretty good that, um, and I think, you know, as long as we keep at it, Thursday night at dinner, we have to decide what we're going to have so that I can buy the ingredients the next day. Yeah. So um, I always try to make sure I want to make something new, a new recipe every week, one one night a week. Not always successful at that, but um, that's my, my aim and goals. So that's what we've been eating. Let's talk about what we've been. <laughs> he's falling asleep over here. Let's talk about what we've been uh, watching or reading. Let's talk about um, Andor, the finale. The finale of Andor was fabulous. That was some of the best TV I've seen. So <clears throat> the series start, started a bit slow, a, a little bit, the first couple episodes. I think people were unsure about it. I, I mean, I suppose the pacing was slow, but there was a lot of stuff going on, like, you know, Andor yeah. killing somebody and, you know. Yeah, it really starts off with a bang. Um, but I think as it went on, it got better and better. I think it really built up to something. And by the end, it was, I mean, I, I've seen people talking about how this isn't just a good Star Wars series. This might be the best TV series of the year, like the best show on TV. And I I, I wouldn't doubt, doubt it. I mean, it was, it was so well written. I really enjoyed it. The speeches that were in the finale, there were a couple of different speeches. In the last couple of episodes. In the, yeah. Uh, just really good compelling the writing was so compelling um and it didn't feel like there was a lot of gimmickry going on um not a lot of not a lot of fan service i mean it's it's in the star wars universe so that stuff is there but it's not fan it didn't feel like gratuitous fan service i felt like um yeah the, the real focus was the star wars galaxy is a really big place and there are a lot of stories that we could tell they don't all involve Jedis and lightsabers and right. What, what, what is the, what is the star Wars universe look like to everybody else? I also heard some people complain that it was like, it made the rebellion look less good guys versus the bad guys. You know, I was talking about this with Isabella and talking about how genre fiction often echoes or reveals the concerns of its day. Yep. And if the Star Wars of my youth was very shiny and idealistic for the most part. It was very clear black and white. Yes. I think that, you know, if you look at, well, for example, the narrative that's going on about the American Revolution and the founding of our country, 
we're a lot more interested in the nuances, the dark side, the the underbelly and, and telling those stories. And so I think it makes sense that when we look back at the the stories of our youth that we kind of say, you know, there's probably a dark side here because there is in most things <laughs> like rebellion comes at a cost. Well, in a, a moral cost. Right. So, well, and also what was going on in 1977 was the Cold War. And you had the evil empire of the Soviets versus the good guys in the West. And it was very clearly, at least the general narrative was good guys versus bad guys. Now, what do you have now, you know, in the world today is you have this, it's the terrorists and you have America, you have Russia, it's China, it's multipolar, it's complex. And like you said, We've also been exposed to, you know, sometimes the good guys had do things that aren't so good in the service of good. They do some bad in the service of good. And the 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 bad guys are still bad guys, but the good guys sometimes cross a line to get to and we were talking about the John Le Carre novels. Yeah. Um right. Uh actually so I uh after I finished reading um the Spy Who Came In From The Cold, I remember that the Close Reads podcast had done a series on that. And I thought the the discussion of that novel was really one of their best top-notch discussion, including, like I was like like I was saying about like genre fiction, one of the hosts, David Kern, proposed a radical reading, I thought. He said that he thought that in some ways, genre fiction is more important than literary fiction. He said that, you know, we don't have a popular, like, we don't have folk tales and fairy tales and mythology really in our culture. Like, we don't tell folk tales. But what serves that place culturally is genre fiction, whether it's romances or mysteries or westerns or science fiction and fantasy or horror like all of those genres have their particular sets of tropes just like fairy tales do or myths do and yet it's what writers do with them that kind of it looks into it's an investigation into the concerns of the culture and it's we're able to have these discussions about these current concerns within the confines of the genre like hitting all the you know Mm -hmm. the notes i really liked that idea that that um you know whether it be superhero movies or detective fiction it tells you something about who we are now if you look at like when what's being written now what's being discussed now it it tells you what we're concerned about i really liked that yeah yeah, and indoor really is about, you know, the where's the line? You know, what what clearly the empire is evil, but you know, what evil can you do is is acceptable in trying to get rid of it, you know? That's that's the moral quandary that gets that's getting built into this and that we hear about we heard about in Rogue One to begin with. Right, yeah. This, I mean, Andor is really a continuation of the same sorts of questions that Rogue One did, and but but I think it's got more scope to develop. I mean, because it's a series has a lot more time to 
right. to spend than a movie does. Yeah. And I think they, what they did with it was really good. Like they picked up a lot of the the concerns from Rogue One and then they just really went deeper. Right. In Rogue One, Cash and Andor, you know, tells Jin Erso, I've done a lot of bad things for the sake of the the rebellion, you know, uh, things that he's not proud of, things that he regrets. And so going with her to Scarif to get the Death Star plans is is his way of making up for it and going back to the roots of what the rebellion is all about. And yet, and yet, well, for all the talk about like the darker side of it, I thought that the series also had a lot of really great hopeful moments and mm-hmm. positive, like Nemec's manifesto. I think is he's sort of almost the Thomas Paine or the Alexander Hamilton of the Star Wars rebellion. Like he's writing the the philosophical underpinnings yeah and i thought what he said about about rebellion and tyranny uh, oppression well it was really amazing isn't it true that like all revolutions have they have the intellectuals to support it they have the firebrand they have the guy who's willing to do whatever it takes to defeat the enemy because what's really it's not so much whether we win or not but that we just attack the enemy and you know this all the different kinds of people with all the different motivations and all the different ways of being part of it. I mean, I've read a lot about the American revolution and it's, it's, it was like that then, like you said, you had your Thomas Paines, you had your Benedict Arnold who before his uh, treason was, you know, a very successful military officer. Then you had, um, you know, you Ben Franklin and you, you had George Washington. You had all the different kinds of ways that people were contributing to the war effort in all the different levels. And, and so we're seeing that like with Andor, you see the, all the different kinds of ways contributing. And I really felt like Nemec, who in the, when we first see him is kind of, um, he almost seems naive. Right. Um, what's the callow, callow youth. He's young and, you know, idealistic and you kind of like, Oh, tut tut, you know, but his manifesto at the end, he's like written this manifesto for rebellion and freedom. His manifesto at the end, you, you you hear it and you go, this could have been become the manifesto for the rebellion. This could have been the inspiration for many people joining the rebellion. Well, and maybe it was and we just haven't heard of it before now. Right. And maybe we will see that actually in, in the future, uh, in a future season. So, um Really can't say enough about Andor. Such a great series. And looking forward to the next uh, season. And so I'd read somewhere that uh, in an interview that they started with developing the finale. They started with the, the the events of the finale first. Right. And I feel like that showed because when we watched the finale, I said, everything is coming together right here, right now, all the threads, both literally and figuratively, right. all the threads <laughs> from, from the whole se- season come together right there in one. It was tight. Yeah. And I think that it made sense. Like that, that's how they wrote it. Like working towards that or working back f- from that because it was so tight. Even the music in that the climactic scenes, the music was a combination of of musical motifs that had been that had been part of all the previous episodes. Although, again, that's because they worked backwards. They, right. they nailed the music 
for that final scene. And then they use those motifs in the rest of the show so that by the time you get to that final scene, everything comes together. And it just even even though you're not consciously paying attention to the music subconsciously, you feel like it's all coming together. It's all come to a head. Right. That was just it was brilliant. So I've been watching another new series on Apple TV Plus, which Apple TV Plus has quickly gone from being sort of a also ran a sort of um, oddball little service to being a real contender for must have. They don't have a lot, but what they do have is almost always good. Um, and like we talked with that movie with Ewan McGregor recently and um, the, there's that series Slow Horses is coming back for a second season. Um, so really good. So I've been watching this new series there called Echo 3. And it's about this brother and sister and he is special forces in the army. He's a Delta force. In fact, I think they come out and say it at one point. And one of his buddies in the unit is marrying his sister. Uh, now this buddy, his, his codename is Prince. The brother is named Bambi. Um, and Prince is the son of this ultra wealthy defense contractor guy. It's a little unrealistic because a guy like that would be a, um, he'd be an officer and my understanding, I mean, Delta is very secretive. My understanding is most of the actual on the ground special operators tend to be enlisted, senior enlisted. They don't tend to put the officers on the front line like that. But be that as it may. Uh, so that's one of the first unrealistic bits. So they, the the sister is a scientist who's researching um, psychotropic drugs as treatment for addiction, which I think is a real thing. I think I've, I've heard of that. And she's, she goes to um, native communities, primitive native communities that use psychotropic drugs in rituals and researches their use of them as she's trying to find their whatever. So, and so she ends up in places like in Colombia and, you know, South America and Africa and that sort of in Asia, that sort of thing. So she's in Colombia and she gets kidnapped by rebels. And so the brother and the husband have to go down there um, to try to rescue her. And, and it's okay so far. Like the first couple episodes, I was a little bit, you know, this seems unrealistic. There's all these weird things. Like we start with the wedding. She's the, you know, they're at the wedding and in the middle of the wedding, they get a call that they have to go in the morning, fly out to do a hostage rescue. And I'm like, if he was getting married, he'd be on leave. Like they wouldn't, they wouldn't have him flying out like the next day. He'd be on leave. They'd find somebody else. It's not like there's only eight Delta Force guys in all the world. You know, I mean, it's just so it seemed a little unrealistic. And the the typical unrealism of somebody gets shot and then three months later they're back, like like nothing happened. Um, the characters seem a little flat. They don't, I don't know, they, again, especially in the first couple episodes, I've only seen the first three or four episodes, um, which, and it was at the end of part one, so I don't know what that means, if there's like another episode in a week, or if it's going to be another six months or something, but um, 
it seemed a little flat. And even like the, the, the woman who was captured, she seems to veer between like being strong and self-sufficient and being weirdly clueless. <laughs> it was kind of odd. And I didn't understand what they were trying to do with the character. And I kind of disliked her, which is a bad thing for the person you're supposed to be rooting for them to save. So it was kind of odd. Um, so I'm, I'm watching it. I'm kind of curious where they're going with it, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. It stars Luke Evans. He's the only one I really recognize as a, as a major actor. Um, you might've seen him in uh, the Hobbit movie as a Bard, the boatman Bowman. I always say boatman. He's a, he is a boatman, but he's Bard the Bowman. Anyway, um, then, of course, we watched Pirates of the Caribbean, which we talked about. Yeah, and, it's it's goofy. It's fun. The The only thing that really actually drives me crazy is the whole anti-corset thing, which just is so. I can see I can see you out of the corner of my eye when she's talking about how can one breathe in these things? Oh, it's like well, that's like, well, one, the whole thing, like she gets her father buys her this new dress and she looks at the corset and she's like never seen a corset in her life i'm like a woman in that day and age would have been wearing a corset since she was like a little child not tight laced but wearing a corset dresses were not designed to be worn with like super tight lace so the idea that she would have to be tight laced in order to fit into the dress was also ridiculous right and then like the whole like she faints because like she can't breathe because she's laced so tightly into her corset. And I'm like, no women, even working women like servants wore corsets to work in. They carried things. They, they lived normal lives. Corset does not mean I can't, I'm tight laced into it and I can't breathe. Could you imagine like in a hundred years, like, like, whatever the equivalent of tv then depicting like wearing underpants as like somehow constricting and oh how could you possibly be forced to wear underpants it's so constricting and oh it's awful it's like right it's like we would go it's underpants like no ew why would you not wear one you know and i'm sure women of that era where do they to see this stuff today would say similar things like have you like it's just kind of weird this this mythology that has has developed now i mean yes during a particular time in history there was a fashion for small waists and some highly fashionable women uh you know they did the weird like over tightened 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 tight laced but that's like the equivalent of women getting breast reduction surgery or breast enhancement surgery or something like it's, it's not everybody. It's a few people who have more money than sense. Right. Cause you've told me before, corsets were not constricting. No, they weren't. They were a supportive. It's like, well, a bra or, I mean, they're not even as constricting as like the, the things that like women today put themselves in like shapewear it's far, they were far less constricting than shapewear. Right. So. <laughs> I'm not even sure what that is, but. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you obviously don't use it. Um, yeah. It's very strange. It's, it's funny the things that are sort of, we accept as common knowledge from our common watching of movies and TV shows that are a complete myth. It came up this week at Scouts. They were doing, um, they were learning about CPR. Uh-huh. And there was one of the dads is actually a former uh, EMT, and he was talking about 
um, the the defibrillator device. Uh huh. And he says one of the things that it's a huge myth is they don't. You know, you see on TV he's flatlining. Give him the defib, and he's like, you don't defib someone who's flatlined. That's not that's not what it's for. It's it's not a jump start. It it sends a shock when the heart is out of rhythm. And, you know, different parts of the heart are firing at different times and that's not pumping blood because it has to they have to fire all in sequence. When they're out of sequence, you sh- you kind of shoot a, a bolt of electricity through it to kind of say this is when you start and they all get the bolt. And so the heart has to be beating for it to be effective. It's you just otherwise you're just shocking a, an un, a dead heart, like an unbeating heart. It's one of those things like we're we've seen it for so long. This is how TV shows and movies are written. Like if you were to do it the right way, people go, that's wrong. <laughs> you know, right. Even though it's correct. It's kind of funny. I'm, I'd love to see. I wonder if someone has. I'm. Oh, well, I shouldn't say I wonder. It's the Internet. It's the Internet. Somebody someone has. has created a list of all these myths and tropes of things that in real life are completely different from the way they are in movies. Not even just like unrealistic, like firing guns that never run out of bullets, but things like defibrillators or corsets or that sort of stuff. I'd be kind of interested to see what else is out there about that. Anyway, Pirates of the Caribbean, totally unrealistic, obviously. It's it's a it's a cartoonish movie. It's Oh yeah. From from the depiction of who pirates were and what they were doing. I mean it's it's obviously right high fantasy because there's a curse and they're like all zombie pirates. So right. And even the sailing spoilers. of ships and how long it takes to get from here to there and how the British Navy worked and all that sort of stuff. And and the ability for two guys to actually sail a ship with no other crew. Well, they, yeah, well, the smaller ship. Yes. They had to sail yeah. the smaller ship without a crew. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it was silly, but, um, no, but I, I, it's the kind of silly that it's, it is fun. Yeah. You had Legolas and uh, Kira Knightley and you know that whole thing. It worked out. It was pretty good. So, um, and then you had a book you wanted to talk about that you've read. Actually, I don't know that I have much to say about it. I, I read Barbara Pym's Excellent Women, which it's kind of a quiet, quirky little novel. Um, so the protagonist is, um, sort of a mousy nobody. She's the daughter of a clergyman and she's single and she seems to be destined to be single for her entire life. Like marriage just does not seem to be in the cards for her, nor, nor does she seem to be especially interested. And she's like, a church, she's a church lady. Like she, you know, lives near the church and she helps out with the parish jumble sales and. Um, she's good friends with the, with the vicar and his sister and, and, and basically the plot revolves around this couple moves into her building and, um, they sort of like, she gets sucked up into their lives Mm -hmm. and they have a marriage that's kind of on the rocks and she ends up getting caught up in their drama. Okay. Um, and she's kind of got a crush on the husband, but. Then they end up getting back together again, and she ends up not marrying the vicar, despite the fact that everybody in the parish thinks that she should be marrying the vicar. Mm-hmm. And she really doesn't end up with anyone. Like, it's an anti-romance. She ends up agreeing to uh, 
continue to help the vicar and maybe help sort out his life after he had a disastrous like engagement, which ended up breaking. Right. And then there's one other guy who seems to be possibly a romantic interest. And he ends up asking her, he's an anthropologist and he ends up asking her to help copy edit his uh, manuscripts and do his index for him. And like, he's not, interested in her romantically and she's not really all that interested in him romantically and it's kind of i mean the the title comes up several times the the idea of the excellent women and the excellent women are the church ladies without whom the church would not function but they're the they're the women who the men are interested in for what they can do but they are not interested in marrying them like the excellent mm-hmm. women are the non-marriageable women oh she's an excellent woman but i would never consider marrying her is the sort of the subtext right it's described as a comedy of manners you know comedy was it, it i maybe am not immersed enough in british culture because there was very little that struck me as funny like quirky weird Mm -hmm. but maybe i'm just like all the humor is going over my head and i'm just taking it at face value when i'm supposed to be laughing at its skewering of conventions now it was published in 1952 and set in that contemporary right period so it's very circa 1950s and maybe that's also part of it it just feels like a historical novel and therefore i'm missing like the humor yeah i mean this says it was her funniest and most successful of her comedies yes. of errors. You know, I keep going back to Bar- Barbara Pym because a lot of people love her. And I feel like I am perhaps not her intended audience <laughs> because it kind of felt sad to me. Like, mm. Interesting. But, you know. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I will find somebody who will explain it to me and I will suddenly understand what brilliance i am missing you also have a a kind of a quirky sense of humor i suppose you have a particular sense of humor just put it that way Uh (laughs) so i i I mean i don't think you're funny yes i'm looking at this um plot summary and i'm amused that the anthropologist is named everard bone yes he's he's an anthropologist name is bone this, that is kind of amusing. Well, there's a whole thing about how he um, he occasionally goes to meetings of archaeologists. And that's sort of like the the other anthropologists is like, well, he only does that because he annoy, he knows it annoys me because I would never do that. <laughs> but our protagonist, meanwhile, doesn't really know what an anthropologist is. Um, right. So it has to it has to be explained to her. Apparently, the phrase "excellent women" is from Jane Austen. Is it from Sanditon? Oh, I haven't really read Sanditon. That's Sanditon. like that's her early like unpublished novel that ah. has been unearthed. I see. So, so the, that's where the phrase is first used, I guess. In any case, uh, so that's what we've been reading and watching. Um, so let's talk about Advent. Okay, Advent is here. Advent has begun begun I've become uh the advent candles are on our dining room table we did not put the purple cloth on the altar i asked somebody to do that and <laughs> nobody did 
No one did that. Um, I I am not good at the whole liturgical living thing because that just requires way too much. Too much executive function. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes one one child or another will will take it into their heads to get interested in something and then it happens. We do what we can little by little. Oh, I forgot to put my Lego Advent wreath out on my desk. I need to do that still. Um, Oh, it's early days. Yes. Lucy said tonight that she did not think it felt like Advent yet. It doesn't really feel like Advent until later in Advent. It really, not until, is it Gaudete or Laudete? I can never remember which is which. Gaudete is in Advent, right? Yes. So if, to me, it really doesn't feel like Advent until Gaudete Sunday. Like you're in the home stretch to Christmas. I mean, that is really the, it's the switch over. I suppose. Well, because as Father Matt said in his homily, the first two weeks of Advent are about the four last things. It's about the second coming, which is kind of funny because it's about the second coming because then the second half of Advent is about the first coming. Right. So, you know, these first two weeks we're talking about death, death, heaven, hell, death and purgatory, our own death, the end of time, that sort of stuff. But the next two weeks will be about Jesus is coming as a child and Christmassy. And, it's, and it kind of feels like that. That's the turn, that, which is why we have Gaudete, you know, that, that Sunday in the, in the middle. So um, he did say a couple interesting things. And, well, he said more than a couple, but he, a couple of things we, we both latched onto. He said the first line of the creed is the most radical statement of all, because we say, I believe in one God. Right. In in the ancient he world, he connected it to the phrase from the first reading, uh, Mount Zion shall become the tallest mountain. Right. Mount Zion shall be called the tallest mountain. So because it's not actually the t- tallest no, mountain. In anywhere. fact, it wasn't even the tallest mountain in in ancient Israel. Like they right. knew many taller mountains. So this was a symbolic. Sy- symbolically, it would become the tallest mountain because all the because the ancient gods. Uh, Semitic gods were worshipped on tops of mountains. It's not just Semitic. I mean, Mount Olympus and right. you know, that sort of so, stuff. So in the ancient world, people went up to the tops of mountains and they believed that gods, they often believed that gods well, lived on the tops of the mountains. If you wanted to get close to the heavens, you had to go up. Right. So the idea of Mount Zion be- becoming the highest mountain is that God is the God above all other gods. That And he's one God. He's the one God. Right. To worship one God to the exclusion of all others was and frankly still is unusual right you know i mean it was it was unlike all the others the, even the romans like well you have your god the israel the jewish god but we have all of our gods and you know it's okay for you to worship your god but you know we have our gods the romans did not understand the idea of refusing like the romans never met a god that they didn't like <laughs> oh no uh they they baptized in a sense or they 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 Incorporated. Incorporated every guy they met. So they went to Egypt. They culturally appropriated everybody. They went to Egypt (laughs) and they culturally appropriated Ra. And they said, well, he's just another name for Jupiter or. Yeah. And they loved, they loved religion. The Romans loved, like they were perfectly willing to accept. Every religion. Right. (laughs) They're perfectly willing to adopt the, the Hebrew God. The problem was that the Hebrews were like. Uh, no, there's only one of them and you have to give up all the other gods and you can't you can't worship any other god. And they were like, they just, it did not compute. Yes, that seems exclusionary. You need to be more well, you diverse. Might, you might 
tick off you might tick <laughs> off one of the other gods like wh- why would you do that you're going to get them mad at you you are studiously observing my bomb throwing uh or studiously ignoring my bomb throwing so yes well like mithras was the other one like they they loved mithras the mithras cult of uh the bull god who yeah. you know so anyway so yeah so the jews were like nope there's one and the, of course the christians same way there's only one god and the idea of saying so the idea of saying that is a pretty radical saying now today there's not as much about polytheism although interestingly it's coming back but um it's more about that the statement is radical today because we make other things into god we've all heard this before you know we make a god of our work we make a god of our appetite so we make a god of whatever it is money power Prestige, yeah. money, power, sex, uh, you know, other religions, that sort of stuff. The usual uh, list. And so t- to say, I believe in one God to all the exclusion of all other things that people worship. That's radical. That's still radical um, and even more so today than it used to be, perhaps. So that was really good. He also pointed out how in the gospel it talks about how, um, you know, if the master of the house had known the hour of night when the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and not let his house be broken into because we need to know the hour the son of man is coming. And he mentioned how in the Bible, sleep is symbolic, a spiritual blindness or even death. And so this, the sleeping master is spiritually blind, is spiritually in observant. Uh, no, this was the master of the house had known the hour of night when the thief was coming. Oh, right. It's always interesting to me how Jesus compares himself to the coming of the thief. Jesus is the thief who's going to come to. Right. He's sneaking into our house, breaking in. I mean, kind of like Santa. Right? <laughs> Santa, Santa does a breaking and entering in millions of homes every year. So it's kind of interesting to see that in there where he talks about, you know, we need to be awake, spiritually awake um, and ready to see. So anything left you want to say about that? Um, Pretty straightforward. You might be able to, we're both kind of tired from the late night at the wedding. (laughs) It was a long day. Um, I always find it interesting, Scott Hans, uh, reflection on this gospel where he talks about that Jesus exaggerates. He says, you know, no one knows the hour of the day, but the father, uh, even I don't know. He kind of implies that even he doesn't know, but of course Jesus would know, but not, he's, he's making a point. So he's sort of exaggerating there. Um, yeah. So, and, it, and I liked the, the idea. I mean, we have to be ready at all times. Like you can't just say, as I've heard people, I've actually heard people say, well, you know, later in my life, I'll get more religious later in my life. You know, I'll, I'll convert, uh, I'll convert when I'm old or like, dude, you don't know. You could step off a curb in, in front of a bus tomorrow. You could drop dead of a heart attack. One thing Father Matt said was that death is like the pop quiz that you didn't expect. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I, I remember thinking that my my kids have no experience of that. Do not know <laughs> what a pop quiz is. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that's a thing in school anymore. I was thinking of the movie Speed, pop quiz, hot shot. What do you do with the Keanu Reeves and um, 
Oh, I had his name right to my tongue, but I forget now. The the bad guy in that one, uh, Dennis Hopper. Pop quiz, hot shot. So and yeah, I don't remember that. I mean, I remember that there was a movie called Speed, and it was Keanu Reeves on a bus. But that's with um, what was her name? Oh, I can't believe I can't remember her name. I keep thinking Marissa Tomei, but it's not. Anyway, I'm I'm really bad with names. So, uh-huh. what's your name? Anyway, so <laughs> the uh, yeah, so that's the first reading of first set of readings for the first Sunday of Advent. It's a nice way to start. It sort of clears the decks. We're we're starting a new new year, new you, and it's. I I mean I really like this like this feeling of a new year, the new liturgical year. It's a fresh start. I know that people look at Lent as a way to kind of fresh start things, and it kind of is. I feel like Advent is is for me even more so, but that's just my feeling on it. I feel like I want Advent to be. A fresh start, but there's just so much to do for Christmas that I feel like that gets lost in the shuffle. And I know it shouldn't, right? But it kind of does. Like I always I I have great resolutions for Advent, and then just the busyness of life gets in the way of all of my intentions. I mean, that's kind of the nice thing about Lent is it's not like you have to do. We have Easter Sunday where we go and we have a big dinner and all this sort of stuff, but it's not like there's a lot of Easter related stuff you have to do for all of Lent, you know? People Whereas, are throwing Easter parties during during Lent. <laughs> right. You're not having an Easter party in you know. Well, I, although, in April. although nowadays you, you have that more popping up, like the Easter egg hunt on on uh, Palm Sunday. <laughs> yeah. I saw advertisements for, and I'm just thinking it's not Easter yet. You're not supposed to have your Easter egg. So I feel like it's starting to creep in, but we're not really there yet. So, yeah. And this is one of the reasons why I like our celebration of gift giving to be primarily on Epiphany, because then that all that doesn't have to be in Advent, all the preparation for gift giving. Although we did really good. I, I know our kids sometimes listen to the podcast, so I'm not going to say too much. But over this past summer, we did some good shopping. <laughs> Let's just say we we got a lot of stuff, so we got a lot done ahead of time, which is uh, completely unusual. Yeah. I, I feel like there's a lot more to do, but <laughs> well, this is the downside: is, is if you don't, if you're not disciplined about it, then you get to Advent and you're like, you still buy all the same stuff, <laughs> do all the same stuff that you were supposed to prepare for. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. we'll see. So can I, can I, can I end with a poem? You may end with a poem. Okay. So you actually read this one to me earlier today. I read oh. her a poem. Isn't that romantic? A poem. Very nice. So it's a poem for the first Sunday of Advent um, by the poet Malcolm Geet, who we talked about last week, last week. And um, he he's riffing on the, um, the first of the O antiphons, O sapientia, but it's really a, when we think of the O antiphons coming at the end of Advent. The, the last seven days, but it, it's appropriate for the beginning as well. So, O Sapientia, I cannot think unless I have been thought, nor can I speak unless I have been spoken. I cannot teach except as I am taught, or break the bread except as I am broken. O mind behind the mind through which I seek, O light within the light by which I see, O word beneath the words with which I speak, 
O founding, unfound wisdom, finding me. O sounding song whose depth is sounding me. O memory of time, reminding me. My ground of being, always grounding me. My maker's bounding line, defining me. Come, hidden wisdom, come with all you bring. Come to me now, disguised as everything. Very nice. Happy Advent, everyone. So, before we go, we want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create Raising the Bets, including Joshua G., Doyle and Dan A., John S., Rebecca S., and Gabe S. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue Raising the Bets and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. Write a review at Apple Podcasts and share the podcast with your friends to help us grow our community and reach more listeners. Until next time, I'm Dom Bettinelli. I'm Ollie Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to Raising the Bets on StarQuest. Here's another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy, The Secrets of Middle-Earth. Find it wherever you can find podcasts or at sqpn.com slash Middle-Earth.